This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. Talk about the backlash against escalating street crime now. And this is really interesting. You see some of British Columbia's largest retailers now banding together and saying enough is enough. Telling politicians, you've got to get this street crime under control. They say shoplifting and violent assaults have taken a toll on their staff. It has led to higher costs for their customers. SOS is the name of this campaign, Save Our Streets. Look at some of the companies involved in this. London Drugs, Save On Foods, Lululemon, Aritzia. These are some of the most popular and successful big retail chains in British Columbia coming together on this. SOS is the message. Got John Boychuk standing by to discuss. Have a listen to this report. This is uh, Global News reporter Travis Prasad. You will also hear Clint Malman here. He's the president of London Drugs. Take a listen. From thefts to random attacks and violent shoplifters, things are getting worse in communities big and small, according to these concerned citizens. And we can't let this continue. More than 30 community groups and businesses province-wide now banding together to launch the Save Our Streets Coalition, or SOS. The escalation in crime and violence in our communities has reached epidemic proportions and it's been building for a very long time. The president of London Drugs speaking there at the end. Now the government says they are trying to respond to this. Uh, they have pressured the federal government for bail reform in the criminal justice system. Uh, the government also confirming new payments now to help small businesses with vandalism costs. Let's discuss with my guest, John Boychuk, owner of Davy Village Tanning. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, John, thanks for coming on today. Good morning. Thank you. John, I'm always grateful for your time. Can you remind the listeners where your business is located again? We're between Burrard and Thurlow on Davy Street in the heart of the village. Yeah, and you've been a fixture down there for a long time. How long have you had that business down there? Myself, I've been associated with it for more than 25 years, but the business itself has been there for 38. Wow, that's amazing. That's been there a long time. So we've talked before, John. Tell me a little bit about some of the problems you've had in your business here. I mean, you've had broken windows, you've had break-ins and stuff, right? Absolutely. Over... The, the last three years in specific, we've had more than 10 break-ins, either through our front door, smashing our windows, trying to pry open our doors. Uh, just crimes of opportunity is what it's come down to. And they don't take anything of great value uh, other than the extreme cost to put it all back together. And then the impossibility of getting insurance after the fact, because when you've had one, two, three, four, five plus break-ins, 
insurance company basically doesn't want to look at you. Yeah. What kind of stuff would they want to steal from a tanning salon anyway? Like, what do you got in there? Um, <laughs> well, we got some swimsuits, uh, you know, okay. uh, one size fits all, I guess you could say. Um, no, we've got a variety of swimwear, skincare products, canning yeah. products. And most of what they're stealing is what they can fit into to a bag or quickly grab in their arms sure. and out the door as they go. Sure, I might lose 500 to to $1,000 worth of merchandise, but it's at you know, 1000 to 1500 to $2,000 to have to repair. Yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that because when you have to, well, let's talk about broken windows. I mean, you've had broken windows down there, right? I've had broken windows multiple times. Yeah. And the average cost to replace is between 800 to $1,200 for a window. And that's just for a single pane window because uh, I'm in a little older building. Uh, yeah. But regardless, it's not any cheaper to have to replace a door either. A door starts at 1000 bucks when you want to have that shatterproof glass coating on it. They still take a sledgehammer and get the way through. Yeah, and does your insurance cover that? Not anymore, no. I won't oh. qualify for insurance deductible for a minimum of two years with no claims now. Oh, man. So, like, when you first, when this first started, did your insurance cover it in the beginning? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay. It was just a $200 deductible the first time. Second time was a $500 deductible. Third time was 1000 bucks, and then the fourth time was no. None. Just no. <laughs> no, yeah. don't come back. We don't want to hear from you <laughs> anymore. Right. Yeah. Yep. Um, boy, so this is a, t a ton of money. Like, this is just money directly out of your pocket then. And I guess, you know, we, we heard the, the president of London Drugs there talk about the cost of this. I mean, let's let's forget about the human, put the human cost of this aside for a second. That's the biggest one. But the dollars and cents cost of this, I mean, this is a cost to, to your business, right? Absolutely. And I'm not the yeah. only business that's been affected I can tell you that in the month of the last half of September and the first half of October, there's a, um, a medical clinic for, for your animals to be able to, to go to. And they had their front door smashed in three times in three and a half weeks. And okay, like, I think what? I, for, I for, think for, what? for what? Yeah, I think I've, I've spoken to that guy. It's yeah, like a veterinary, yeah. it's like a veterinarian clinic there, right? Yeah. Urban yeah. Animal Hospital. Yeah. Uh, across the street from me, there's a vape shop, and he's had his front door smashed in three times in that same period. So, you know, what are they getting out of it? There's bars on the windows. There's bars on the doors. They're grabbing with whatever they can uh, with, with, within a couple of minutes, and out they go. But the damage that's left behind for these small businesses is just really building up, building up, and they're at the point now where they don't even want to bother reporting it because yeah. the process to report means that they got to take more time out of their day, and we know without the crime stats, you don't get the support. You mean report it to, they don't even report it to the police? They're not even doing that anymore yeah. because it's such a pain because they know nothing is happening. So, therefore, it looks like crime is going down when actually crime is about the same as it has been for the last year. Speaking of John Boychuk, he's the owner of Davy Village Tanning. It's been a fixture there in the Davy Village there for many, many years. John, when you look back, uh, in when you first started the business, took over the business, what was it like back then? Like, this has gotten worse, right? Oh, we've always had an interesting, eclectic mix of individuals walk up and down the street. That's one thing that's for sure. 
But in the last five years, we've seen a complete degradation uh, within the neighborhood for basically rampant drug use, homelessness that are making the streets, uh, taking over the streets. Last weekend, I went and parked in the back of my business, and I walked around the front. So I went uh, down the back alley on the south side of Davie, up Gerard, around the front, I did 10 minutes worth of business, walked back around up Thurlow and down the back alley, and I counted 10 homeless individuals either in the middle of being passed out or in the middle of recreational drug use or in the midst of committing a crime. And that was at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So, you know, people don't want to go down. They don't want to pass through. Heaven forbid you're a tourist and this is your one weekend in town and you're out and about before you take off on a cruise ship. And it's like, whoa, okay, uh, eyes wide open. Welcome to the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, John, let's talk about the uh, this small business vandalism program here at the province has rolled out. We got some new details in this yesterday. So small businesses would be able to apply for up to $2,000 to help in the cost of vandalism repairs, would uh, would you be eligible for that? Can you get two thousand bucks under this program here? Under uh, my understanding, I believe that if there were any future incidents, I would qualify. Uh, as I have already worked with the Business Improvement Association in the West End and gotten a couple of the rebates that they were able to give five hundred dollars for a broken door, five hundred dollars for a broken window. Uh, the BIE has been fantastic, and them working to get this new program in place. We're just hoping that the paperwork is not too convoluted with this one, now that the government has given the money not to the BIAs, but the Chamber of Commerce, to then distribute to the BIAs, to then have the application process, to then get the monies once the the crime has been committed and the damage is done. And what do you think of that amount, like 2000 bucks? I mean, it's got to help a bit, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. For a small business, the average amount of damage that's done is in that one to $2,000 range. But that's just, you know, the property damage. That's not the losses that you may incur. It's not going to cover yeah. merchandise. It's not going to cover the employees who have been traumatized by it when they walk in in the morning. And there's glass all over that they've got to clean up, you know, this. There's a lot of other factors that are there uh, that have to be considered by the owner and are dealt with by the owner. Yes, it's great that this money is available. Let's just hope that it's not too complicated to actually help the businesses that need it. John, I always appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on. I hope things improve in the neighborhood there. We're working on it. We really are. I know you are, man. Thank you for doing this. This, That's John Boychuk there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right, let's talk about Vancouver's municipal-owned golf courses. Now, there are three pitch-and-putt courses, and but then you got to talk about the three big courses, the full-size golf courses, right? you got, of course, Fraser View Golf Course, McCleary, and, of course, Langara Golf Course. Now, think about all that land on these locally-owned municipal golf courses. People estimate the value of this land in the billions, billions of dollars, what should be done with this land? Should we continue to use them as golf courses, or could they be used for housing? we got a housing crunch going on. got Patrick Condon standing by to discuss. First, have a listen to this report. This is from Global News reporter Aaron MacArthur. You'll also hear Patrick's voice here in this report. Let's listen. The Vancouver public course, one of the busiest in the country, surrounded on all sides by development, steps away from the Canada line. There are academics who say the city is missing out on the land's true potential, proposing a mix of housing and park space. We have a housing crisis. There's, there's insufficient park space. Okay, talking about the Langara golf course there, let's discuss now with my guest Patrick Condon. Patrick is a professor at UBC's School of Architecture and Landscape Architecture. Patrick, thank you for coming on today. Sure, Mike. Okay, when we talk about the value of that land, did I get this right? I mean, it's got to be worth billions of dollars, this land, right? It's definitely billions of dollars because land in the city of Vancouver uh, is worth uh, thousands of dollars per square foot, depending on the amount of density that can be put there. So it is billions of dollars. Okay, are you a golfer yourself? I used to be when I was a lot younger. <laughs> okay, have you ever played any of these courses? you ever played, the, played Langara? No, I haven't played Langara. I haven't played since I moved to Vancouver 30 years ago. Okay, okay. Well, let's talk about these golf courses here now. So we've got three full-size golf courses, Langara, Fraserview, McCleary. This has been kicked around before, Patrick. What, what, where do you stand on this? Do you think there's a better use for that land? Well, let, let me start by saying I think that there is a housing crisis and there's a lot of different ways to address it. And out of frustration uh, and and recognizing that the problem for housing affordability is land price. It's not the cost of the building that is causing us trouble. It's the market price of land, and particularly land for high-density development, which makes it impossible for developers to provide affordable housing. So if you, if you look around and say, well, what can be done, uh, the possibility emerges quite quickly that there, there is a land base which is worth many, many billions and uh, in, the, uh, in, in the jaws of this crisis, maybe we ought to think about converting part of one of these golf courses for uh, co-op housing and affordable housing and social housing, all of it leveraged by the sale of the portion that you could use for market housing so it would not cost the taxpayers any money. And the precedent for this is the way that uh, Falls Creek South was done. And visually, it could be very much like that. Uh, open space available to the whole city, as well as affordable housing 
for the service workers that are rapidly moving out of the city because they can't afford it. Okay, what about the people who use the golf courses now and enjoy them very much? And let me play a clip here for you, you, Patrick, for your thoughts. And you'll hear from your colleague here, Scott Hine, UBC urban design professor. Also, you hear the voice here of a a golfer at Langara Golf Course who doesn't like this idea of turning the golf course into housing. Let's listen, then I'll get your thoughts. We're just not in, you know, making land anymore. So here's a chance to think about uh, the golf course in a more ethical way. The city owns and operates three public golf courses, adding up to roughly and be worth $20 billion. Well, I'm against it because I like like golf, so I think it's a great course too, right? So, yeah, I'm totally against that. Okay, so you heard a golfer there saying, oh, this is a great course, plays it all the time. Of course, he would be against it if you enjoy playing a round of golf at these golf courses. Patrick, what would you say to the people who are using using these courses right now and enjoy them very much. I, I appreciate that. And this is not my first choice for solving this housing crisis. I think that we could tax development and get affordability that way. We get 20% required uh, affordability from most of our new developments. I would suggest going to 50%. But in the absence of action on that and out of frustration, we should look at these kinds of possibilities. That part of the city has has no has really no park space. It does have a golf course, of course, but that golf course is restricted to the people who who play golf. So, I think just using the edge of that site for the affordable housing that I'm talking about and that Scott was referring to uh, is something worth considering, along with other ideas. Presently, we are not solving this problem. We are just saying add density, new supply will fix the problem. And I know for a fact that that has not worked and it will not work because the problem is land price. Speaking to Patrick Condon, UBC, about Vancouver's municipal golf courses, should they be turned into affordable housing? Speaking of park space and green space, let's talk about Langara for a minute. You know, I've heard people say like, whoa, 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 wait a minute here. We're not going to solve the housing crisis by plowing over or paving over our green space but it sounds like you're proposing something where part of the land could be preserved as parkland right in addition to the and to in addition to a housing use is that correct that is correct the idea would be that one uh half of the what we what we put out there for consideration is half of the land would would uh be retained as green space open park space uh that could be used by everybody not just by golfers and the capital value of the remaining 50% could be leveraged to create a mixed community, much like False Creek South, where one-third of it is uh, market housing, one-third of it is middle-class housing, mostly co-ops, and one-third of it is social housing mixed together. So you can't tell the difference between one style of housing and the other, which works a whole lot better. I think we all agree that False Creek South works very, very well. That's a model we could emulate. Yeah, do you think that, has this been done in other jurisdictions? I know I, I once read a story about how they did something similar to, to a, a local municipal-owned golf course in Australia, and I imagine it's been discussed and tried in other jurisdictions as well. Have you heard of any? Yeah, it has been, uh, it has been used, usually in situations like our own, when, when the value of this land becomes so, uh, so compelling, I guess you could say, uh, 
and uh, the use of that land uh, for golf when it's competing against other uses, such as park space for a higher population or community facilities, uh, starts to overwhelm its value for, for golf. And in the case of Vancouver, like a lot of cities uh, are, are vintage, I would say, golf, when the golf courses went in, they were, uh, they were not, not against the context of the kind of crisis in housing we have and also not against the context of the kind of unaffordable uh, land that we have for development. So I think that that has been a compelling reason in a lot of locations. And it must be said that, that uh, in Vancouver, up until the pandemic, the amount of golfers was declining. And that's part of an international phenomenon of declining the recreational uh, pursuit of golf is declining in comparison mm. to other recreations. And the causes for that are probably that uh, we don't live in a culture anymore that has quite as much, quite as many people who have that kind of time on their hands and can afford that kind of expense. It's much more of a need to, to have park space that is available for free in our neighborhoods. Mm. Well, that's a very interesting point you just made, and I was just taking a glance at a Vancouver Park Board report that addresses some of these precise points, and it mentions that the number of rounds played at these Vancouver municipal golf courses basically flat from 2016 through 2019, but then there was a sharp increase, 2021 to 22, 30% increase, and revenue to the city also went up by 40%. The park's the golf ranks as the highest revenue generating activity for the park board, $14 million. Do you think, do you think that that, that increase went up because of uh, COVID? Like people were, people it was one of the things people were allowed to do, go outside, right? Apparently that was the nature of that increase. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that uh, these are revenue generation uh, uh, facilities in the millions of dollars, but we're talking about $20 billion worth of value. So that's, yeah. I must say, that's pocket change in comparison to the, to, the, to the capital value of those lands. It could be leverage for social purpose. And the social purpose we have, which is at the crisis level, is people who are making average income in the city of Vancouver cannot afford to live here and being forced out beyond Surrey and have to commute back and forth every day. So which is straining our transportation system and increasing our uh, decreasing the sustainability of the region socially and ecologically and financially. Patrick, it's always interesting to speak to you. Thank you for coming on today. Sure, Mike. Anytime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Okay, 
here we go with a little Halloween fun now. Let's talk about the scariest movies of all time. What is at the top of your list? The one that scared you the most. I want to hear from you on this one. Got Kurt Smakel joining us now. Kurt is a movie critic and podcast host. Three Angry Nerds is the name of his podcast. You must definitely check out. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Mike. How's it going? It's going great. So this is always a fun topic to do, and we'll try to cover uh, several movies here before we start taking some calls on the other side. So, Kurt, I'm going to start with my pick, okay? My personal okay. scariest movie. It is The Blair Witch Project. This scare totally scared my wife and I. We went to see it. Let's have a little listen to part of the trailer. The Blair Witch Project. All because of me that we're here now. <laughs> Hungry and cold. And hunted. Oh God! Okay, that's art just creeping me out. Just listening to that. I think the reason I found it, my wife and I both found it so scary, Kurt, is it seemed real, right? It seemed mm -hmm. very, very real. A sort of amateurish sort of style to the filmmaking made it seem very real. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I remember when that movie came out, there was definitely a lot of buzz going around that maybe it might be real, maybe it wasn't, nobody knew for sure. But I think just thinking that it might pot potentially happen just added to the potential scares of that movie. Yeah, it really, really freaked us both out at that time. Okay, Kurt, let's start with one of your choices. Now, we, we've got a bunch here on your list, and we've got some sound clips from each one. Which one do you want to start with here? Let's uh, chat about uh, Fright Night. Fright Night. Okay, let's go back to 1985. Fright Night. Here's a listen. You'll do anything to protect yourself, but it will do anything to protect its secret. Fright Night. If you love being scared, this could be the night of your life. <laughs> okay, well, that sounds like a good trailer. Okay, Kurt, why do you find this one so it's on your scare list here? Yeah, so this is for me like one of those 80s classics. I think the 80s was a prime time for horror, and this is just one of the best ones. Uh, it's about a teenager who thinks that his uh, neighbor uh, might be a vampire and might be killing off people. So you got a little bit of a mystery there, and you got some great effects. Uh, you got a great script. Uh, like all around, this is just a really fun, entertaining movie from start to finish. Okay, I'm glad that you like the 80s. I'm a fan of the 80s myself. Okay, back to my clip, or my pick here, Kurt, for your thoughts. This one, uh, I've seen this movie one time, and I've tried to watch it again, but I do find it kind of disturbing to watch. It is The Shining, the classic horror movie, Stanley Kubrick. Let's have a listen. Here's Johnny, Jack Nicholson, breaking down the bathroom door. Oh, man, that is a freaky one. And I, I just find that the some people say that it's kind of a slow-paced movie, you know, but I find that the slow, deliberate pace of it in some ways sort of builds up the horror. But what do you think of that one? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it takes its time to kind of develop the characters and whatnot, but uh, 
I I think it's a great movie. I mean, it's one that uh, I think when I was a kid, I was watching it way too young than I should have been. It took me maybe three tries to actually watch it from start to finish. But uh, yeah, definitely is up there as one of the best horror movies of all time. Yeah, that one really got under my skin for sure, watching it the first time. And uh, I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it again. Okay, Kurt, give me give me another one here. Uh, let's talk about the Monster Squad. The Monster Squad. Okay, tell me about that one. I don't think we got a clip on that one. What's that one about? Yeah, so this is also a movie from the 80s, uh, from 87. It was uh, written by Shane Black. You probably know he uh, wrote uh, quite a few kind of classic movies, really sharp dialogue in all of his movies. Uh, this one's sort of best described as the Goonies meets the universal uh, monsters of classics. So you know, basically a group of kids uh, find out that their town's being invaded by Dracula, the Wolfman, uh, the Fishman, and they kind of have to band together to defend their town from uh, these monsters. And it's just a great movie. It's also one that you can show, uh, you know, maybe some older kids too. So if you're looking for something to watch on Halloween, that's uh, not just for adults, it uh, fits the bill. And it's just a fun, entertaining movie that uh, I think you're, you're going to have a hard time just watching it once. You're going to want to watch it a couple times just to kind of get uh, multiple layers of enjoyment out of it. Okay, that sounds like a fun one, and it kind of reminds me a little bit in your description there, when you think about the Evil Dead franchise, right? We've seen these yeah. Evil Dead movies, and that's one that, to me, you know, it's kind of an element of fun as well as being, I guess, kind of classic horror. Let's have a listen to the trailer here. This is for Evil Dead Rises. Open up now. You don't look so good, Mom. Nothing a big old kiss from you won't fix. Evil Dead Rise. I think I got the title wrong there. Evil Dead Rise. Okay, that's that's the most recent one, isn't it, Kurt? Yeah, it came out this year, and uh, yeah, it's kind of a very simple back-to-basics approach for the franchise. Um, you know, somebody uh, reads the Necronomicon and uh, gets uh, infected by evil and uh, just kind of goes from there. So, you know, one of those cases where you don't have to overly complicate the plot. Sometimes it's just easier to just keep it simple, but keep it entertaining. Okay, speaking of franchises, we heard the music from the film Halloween there in our intro here. Let's have a little listen to the trailer for Halloween 3. Let's listen. They're going to kill us. All of us. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. The night no one comes home. Another one going back to the 80s there, I believe, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one was 80, 82. And uh, yeah, this one's a bit of a weird one just because it was the third movie in the franchise and it completely ditched Michael Myers. So he doesn't appear in this movie at all. The plot doesn't even tie into Michael Myers. It's a completely separate plot. But I mean, if you kind of treat it as its own separate movie and not as part of a franchise, it's actually such a great movie. It's got such a great plot about... Uh, a toy maker trying to uh, plot against uh, kids, which sounds kind of absurd, but when you watch the movie, it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, it's got a lot of great effects, and I don't know, it's just one of those movies that I always watch uh, every Halloween just because I always find it just really fits the, the mood so well.
here comes that shark. Oh yeah, boy, that was that was a scary one. Okay, now that's really bringing me back because I remember when Jaws came out. Man, everybody in my neighborhood was talking about that. I was just a kid. Okay, Kurt Smakel is my guest. We got lots of calls and scary movies. John in Vancouver. Hiya, John. Go ahead. Yeah, Jaws still Jaws still scares me to this day. But, oh yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, 14 years old, American Werewolf in London came out. And after I saw the movie, me and my cousin were walking home late at night, and a dog came running towards us, and we thought, it's the werewolf, run! (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, an American werewolf in London. Okay, Okay, we're going back to the 80s again, Kurt. That must be on your list. Oh, 100%. That's actually one of my all-time favorites. Um, Yeah, that's a movie that I think if anyone hasn't seen that, you got to watch that movie at one point in your life. Yeah, for for sure. Let's go to Ed in Victoria. Hi, Ed. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Uh, number one, without a doubt, The Exorcist. I saw yeah. that when I was 14. I got into the theater somehow. I don't think I slept properly for a month or two. But a local one, uh, The Changeling, that was filmed in Vancouver. Maybe your guest knows about that. The Changeling, Kurt. Oh, yes, that's another one of my all-time favorites, too. Uh, yeah, that one was filmed in around Vancouver area, SFU and other areas, and uh, that one's amazing. And The Exorcist, too. I actually just rewatched that last night. Uh, both great movies. Yeah, and when he said that um, he had to sneak into the movie theater when he was a kid, I, be- was it, I believe The Exorcist was rated R, right? Uh, yeah, I believe yeah, it was. Yeah, it was rated R. It was rated yeah. R. So I remember there were, yeah, kids would try to sneak in because, th- man, that's another one that just freaked everybody out. What did you think of it on the rewatch, your recent rewatch? Hold up? Yeah, it did help hold up quite a bit, actually. I found it was uh, really entertaining and, uh, I don't know, it was just really well made. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Keith and White Rock. Hi, Keith. Go ahead. Uh, movie Descent about a group of women that go caving uh, eastern United States and they get trapped in the cave and ultimately uh, there is something lurking in there. The the claustrophobic sense in that movie scared the absolute bejesus out of me and once it gets into them trying to get out of that cave, it's an absolute nightmare. It is truly a scary film, both from the claustrophobic sense of it and, of course, they find out what's lurking in there. Oh, boy. Okay, I like how you didn't give away the spoilers there. The no, Descent. No no, no. no, no spoilers. No spoilers. The Descent. I've heard about this one, Kurt. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, yeah, the caller described it perfectly. It's very claustrophobic. Uh, it kind of gives you a very eerie sense that you don't really quite know what's going on around you, which uh, really fits the movie quite well. Uh, yeah, that's a really good movie. Yeah, Debbie in Kamloops. Hi, Debbie. Go ahead. Hi, sweetie. Yes, The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, sure. I went, in, I went in with straight hair, and I tell you, I come out with an afro. I was so scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how yeah. old were you? Oh, Lord. I, geez. You're secret safe with me, I tell you. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, you I'm just it's saying, were you a... not anymore. It's senile. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, maybe you weren't. Maybe you weren't a kid. I won't probe any further than that. But so, Kurt, everyone, when when this topic always comes up, I think The Exorcist would probably come out maybe a number one all time if you did a poll. Do you think? 
Yeah, I think that these things are always kind of generational too. You know, certain generations will always cite different movies that kind of, you know, affected them more when they were kids. But I think just the the Exorcist will circle back for a lot of people as just being one that that definitely scared them a lot when they were kids. Yeah, for sure. Star 9898 is the number to call on your cell. David in Port Moody. Hi, David. Go ahead. Hi there. Uh, hi, gentlemen. So, yeah, I'm another one of those guys. The Exorcist is probably the scariest movie I ever saw. But um, yeah. there's one I think was probably from the mid-70s, early 80s. It's called The Dark Secrets of Harvest Home. And I've never heard anybody mention that. It's probably not that well-known, but it was about, a, I, I think, a young couple, professional couple moved into a small, maybe Massachusetts town. They didn't realize they were moving into a town that was home to a coven of witches, and they I, I, the scariest part of the movie, I remember, was near the end. They cut the pupils out of the uh, couple's eyes so they couldn't see. It, yeah, it was uh, it, quite a good movie, actually. I just don't think many people have heard of it. Okay, I'm just Googling it as you discuss it. It's a 1978 film, Kurt, The Dark Secret of Harvest Home. Have you ever seen that one? Uh, no. It also, I it's something I've been meaning to check out, but I think it's just not as readily available just because I think it came out as a miniseries back in the day. So oh. I don't think it really necessarily translates well to being too watchable nowadays, but yeah, yeah that's something mm. I've heard of before, but just haven't checked out personally. Glenn and Maple Ridge. Hi, Glenn. Go ahead. Yeah. I got a, yeah. Hey guys, I got another vote. I I snuck into the theater too. Saw the exorcist creep the hell out of me. I was scared. Uh, the other ones that, came out kind of afterward, not kind of spinoffs from Exorcist, but any of the devil movies, Damien, The Omen, uh, that, yeah. those kind of movies, those those devil-y movies where kids, or, or Children of the Corn was another one that oh. freaked me out. Uh, oh, that one was where those kids were all possessed and it was bizarre. Yeah. Was, oh, uh, yeah. Those were freaky movies, man. Freaky. Yeah, those were freaky. I remember that, thanks for the call, I remember The Omen. The Omen I found very, very scary, lived in my memory a long time. You know, especially, was it Gregory Peck? Was that the guy in uh, the home? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he played the dad in that movie. He played the dad, and I, I remember the scene where, you know, he was told, he, he suspected the kid was the Antichrist or whatever, and he had to find the number 666 on his body. And he said, look, I've seen this every inch of this kid. He doesn't have the mark. And then and then I think someone told him, well, no, you ha it's probably under his hair, right? And he had to mm -hmm. cut his hair to find, oh, that yeah. just, that just drove me up the wall. I couldn't, I couldn't handle that. Malcolm yeah. in Richmond. Hey, Malcolm. Okay. Back in the early sixties, I was taking piano lessons. I didn't like it. So my parents thought, hey, why don't you watch this film? It's called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. Hans Conry played Dr. T. And it was about a kid at a piano. He falls asleep, and he goes into this nightmarish world of piano keys. I never touched the piano since. <laughs> okay. You're and going way back. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm Googling it here. It's a 1950s film. Boy, this is a, that was a, that's going back a ways. We, Kurt, we got 30 seconds. You seen that one? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, that one's a oh. bit more of a of a fantasy movie, but uh, I think definitely some of those older movies definitely were a little frightening, even if they weren't necessarily a horror movie. Kurt, it's always a fun topic. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.